you know, Google makes it really easy to to spend a lot of money. There's no safeguards in place. Like it's it's like you it's like going to the casino and and you really need to know the rules. You know, like you, uh, the, otherwise you'll just get taken. Coming to you in your speakers from Dubai to all around the globe. This is James Reynolds Traffic Jam Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. Hi, welcome back, listener. This is Traffic Jam episode number 44. I'm your host, James Reynolds, and you, of course, are tuned into the podcast show that teaches you how to build and grow a profitable audience online. Now, a quick shout out at the top of the show to Vivica Von Rosen, who was our guest here on episode 38 of Traffic Jam, talking all about LinkedIn marketing. Vivica made some very nice comments during the week about how much she's been enjoying the show as a subscriber. So I want to thank you for that, Vivica. But also mention her because her content that she spoke about on episode 38 is a very nice precursor to some of the content that we talk about with today's guest. So let me introduce him. He's Larry Kim and he's the founder of WordStream, a technology and services company that helps you get the most from your paid search marketing. Now, Larry really is one of the preeminent authorities on paid search. He blogs for pretty much all of the big search engine blogs, Search Engine Land, Search Engine Watch, Search Engine Journal, and Moz, amongst others. He's also been named the leading expert in paid search, both in 2013 and 2014 by PPC Hero. So he clearly knows his stuff on paid search, and it would therefore be stupid of us not to really dig deep on that topic in today's show. But we don't stop there. We also go deep on content marketing, SEO and social media. So we cover a whole bunch of topics on today's episode. Now, before we get to that, I want to tell you about some special bonuses I put together for today's episode, which you can get by going to trafficjamcast.com slash 44. That's trafficjamcast.com forward slash 44, where I've put together the MP3 as a downloadable file for you, a full transcript of today's show, plus my very own notes from this episode put together in mind map format. So head to the URL trafficjamcast.com forward slash 44. Grab yourself the downloads and then sit back and enjoy today's episode. Welcome back, listener. This is episode 44 of Traffic Jam. And joining me today is Larry Kim from WordStream. Larry, how are you? Doing great. How are you, James? Thanks for having me. Absolutely awesome to have you on the call. Now, right as we speak, I'm actually browsing around wordstream.com. And I read that your company purpose, to read it exactly as stated, is to bring the power of search marketing to businesses of all sizes. So first question, should all businesses engage in paid search? And if so, how? 
I think so. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that you have to allocate 50% of your budget to paid search, but at a very minimum, I would think that you know any company doing um, you know web marketing ought to have a you know a, a, at least a component of their market being uh, marketing budget being allocated to paid search uh, at the very least covering sort of the the keywords that are you know like cherry picking the keywords that are exactly relevant to you know the the business that you're operating yeah so what are some of the aspects of doing paid search effectively because this is really your thing right your background yourself you're very much the paid search guy your business produces um, software that helps people with the process of doing paid search and you managed to my knowledge over a million dollars worth of your own spend on paid search you've got to have a few lessons up your sleeves i'm sure what are some of the key points to doing this thing effectively so uh, the first point would be kind of along the lines of what I was just talking about being really picky. You know, on Google, there's like 3 billion searches on the search engine every day. And the point where a lot of, um, you know, mar small businesses maybe get tripped up is the point isn't to buy all the searches, uh, but rather to be very, very picky. So like if you're a web development, uh, you know, consulting firm in, in Boston, you shouldn't be bidding on keywords like web development, you know, because that, that could mean anything. That could mean that they're, you know, looking to learn web development it could be that they're looking for a job right like who knows what the intent behind uh, that particular search is the key is to be super super picky like you know web development you know consulting firm boston or something like very very specific uh search terms that are highly relevant to exactly what you're doing so that you know because you have to pay for these clicks uh you want to be reasonably sure that you know when you do pay for a click uh that it is uh, somebody who is actually you know able to and willing to buy what your products or services so just being very very picky and not trying to go after all the keywords but rather just the very very small narrow set of keywords that are precisely relevant to your business i would say is kind of number one uh you know uh, most important thing uh, a second thing has to do with um ad copy um you know most of the ads when you do a search for uh and anything like big data solutions or, or anything what you'll find is the vast majority of these advertisers on adwords for whatever reason 98 percent of them have no creativity they just write about this the same ads you know more or less the same the same ad for all four different companies or 10 different companies and so the idea is to come up with these really compelling creative angles that, that the just like how in content marketing how you have all these really ridiculous titles that really compel people to click on uh, you know articles <laughs> those same like those emotions like awe and and anxiety and fear and 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 um you know curiosity like you should be employing those same kind of tactics uh, that you do in your content to your ads, so that you know you, you're you're getting the clicks and you're you're standing out uh, in 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 the audience. Uh, just a last tip that I will just throw out there is to, just to be active. Uh, where a lot of these small businesses fall down is that they kind of it's kind of set it and forget it. They do kind of this one time. Um, you know, account set up and they just kind of leave it on autopilot. And that's really not a great formula for success. You really need to be in, in the account once a week, kind of looking at what worked, what didn't work and making the necessary adjustments. Yeah, got it. So really one of the main takeaways is to be relevant to your business. And I guess that's through the keyword matching, but then also extremely relevant to your audience, understanding kind of, as you said, the pain points and what keeps them up at night and their biggest fears and anxieties. Um, how do you uncover that though? I mean, you know, I guess there's a skill set and a talent in writing good copy for your ads, but what processes might we go through to kind of really understand what the pain points are for our potential customers? 
Sure. Um, what I would suggest is to bring in some outside people. A lot of times, uh, companies, you know, when you're working within your own company, you know, tw- you know, seven days a week, or you know, for the last five years or whatever, it's sometimes hard to um, really see the the pain points from the point of view of someone who's not familiar with, with your services. So the external point of view always helps. Uh, you know, the the one process that seems to work really well is to just map out uh, these personas, like who 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 your your target your target customer is and what are their fears what are their their best friends and what are the the, the kind of the emotional triggers associated with with uh, those different actors and then just try to to draw bridges from you know those pain points to your solution uh, in you know in 120 characters or less <laughs> um, <laughs> so you know the it, it's really it's really an art form like what you find is that paid search analysts and people who do paid search they tend to be more like data oriented more like what is that left side brain brain kind of people yeah because it's all like like spreadsheets and stuff like this you, you really need to kind of team up with like one of these um you know copywriters for like a like a newspaper like the 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 new york post or whatever like the the, the, the crazy headlines that they come up with and, and you should be thinking more along those lines yeah and i'm sure that character limit you know that constraint of only having a few characters to work with actually kind of forces a bit of creativity in your ad copy right because you you know you can't be very long-winded and descriptive you have to get to the point very very quickly with it right 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 uh but you know what it's um it the bar is very low like most of the ads out there are very unimaginative so if you were to like write a haiku like some kind of a poem you know in in the three line format of an ad like i think that would really stand out and people would be very curious to see what what that was and and um and that would allow you to gain more clicks despite bidding lower and having perhaps less prominent positioning on a page yeah well you mentioned that we should be inside the accounts almost daily monitoring the activity what are some of the key numbers or metrics or um, things within an adwords account setup that we should keep our eyes most closely upon sure uh, just uh, maybe a daily is, is a little bit um you know that's a little bit overactive i would suggest maybe once a week is it would, would do it for the typical small business even that i think is if you could do once a week is, is uh, pretty you'd be ahead of your peers in terms of your achievement uh, and effort level um but uh, you know, one of the key metrics that I like to look at is something called quality score, and you know, there, it's a lot more complicated. You know, Google makes it a lot more complicated than it really is. Uh, it has to do with just how good is the click-through rate of your ads uh, relative to the expected click-through rate for a given ad position. So obviously, if you're in the first spot, you're going to get a higher click-through rate if you're, in, you know, on average than if you're in the fifth spot. So the, the quality score just says, you know, how high is your click-through rate relative to the expected rate for your ads and the reason why this is so important is because um, Google has this very unusual pricing policy where like the ads that get clicked on are ridiculously cheap you know they get these 50% discounts off of your maximum cost per click bid conversely if you have these really bad ads that nobody is clicking on uh, you know they get taxed with like 400% increases on the cost per click uh, relative to the average cost per click and so you know that just this quality score metric kind of rolls up this notion of you know how good are the click-through rates of your ads as a as a measure of the the ad quality and and uh, you know basically it, it impacts everything in your account. Yeah, and what are some of the measures that we can take then to improve quality score? I'm sure again it's becoming more relevant with our 
um, ads and our targeting. But again, I guess it would also be um, down to just writing effective ad copy, would it? Yeah, th- those are two um, the, the kind of the, the staples. The the main ways to do that is has to do with kind of the keyword targeting, you know, eliminating key, uh, keywords that have nothing to do with your business or or that are weak in commercial intent. Meaning, it's not that web development wasn't relevant to that Boston web firm. Uh, web firm. It's that uh, people are less likely to click on it on ads on searches that have either navigational or informational intent. So meaning like if people are just looking to, to navigate to some brand or to some, um, you know, asking some question about some technology, you know, they're less likely to buy your product and thus less, less likely to click on your ad than if, if you have a very high commercial intent query where it's like, you know, best web development firm Boston. Now you're looking for like some, someone's trying to do a kind of a comparison orientation. And so they're, they're really like close to buying someone's uh, web design services. You, you see what I mean? So like yeah. a lot of, a lot of it has to do with the nature of the keywords that you're selecting. Uh, and beyond that, there's all sorts of crazy technologies that you can that you can leverage. Um, one of the ones that is kind of guaranteed to double the click-through rate of your ads is this notion of um, something called RLSA, Remarketing List for Search Ads. It's a relatively new t- technology, James. And what it allows you to do is you can tag people who visited your website in the last X number of days. And then you can show ads just to people who sh- who who um, visited your site recently. Do you, do you follow? Yeah. And so be- because the, the you know they have both the query intent in terms of they're searching for a keyword added to the fact that they were in the market for your services recently, uh, because the, the you know previous browsing history is a real strong indicator of future purchasing intent. Uh, when you add those two signals together, uh, that tends to produce ridiculously high, you know, double the click-through rates, you know, for those types of ads, uh, which then generates the higher quality scores, which gives you, you know, all the great you know, benefits of quality score, which is you know, better ad positioning, lower cost per click, higher um, higher impression share, lower cost per conversion, etc. Yeah, well, listeners to Traffic Jam will know that I'm a huge fan of doing remarketing. We've had various sessions on this show talking about how it can be used across the display network and using some other platforms as well. I'd be interested to gain your insights, Larry, as to kind of what the strategy might be with um, paid search and potentially what sort of messaging that we might serve up to someone who's visited our site already compared to what we'd show a first-time searcher within Google. You know, it's we found that if even running the same ads, uh, you know, just just running it to a, a more selective audience, like to people who've recently v- viewed your site, that alone is good enough to to have significantly increased the click through rates of the ads. I mean, if you wanted to be really really cute, you could. Um, uh, you know, you say things like, ah, oh, you, you know, finish your purchase and save 10% on, like, on, on the items in your cart, like, because you could tag people who presumably, uh, you know, you put things in their cart but didn't, uh, check out or whatever. Like, you can be very precise in terms of the, um, the audience definitions. Um, but really, James, one of the most effective, uh, strategies for, um, remarketing for search as opposed to display is, uh, going after broader 
keywords. So mm-hmm. remember how, how in the beginning I was saying, you know, be very picky, go after like very, very specific keywords. Well, the exception to that rule is if you're using remarketing lists for search and then you happen to know that, you know, here's a person who recently was on your site, you know, searching for products and solutions that you offer. And they, they, they look for like a competitor name, which could be very broad and unspecific. Um, well, the fact that they're looking for that that competitor term plus the fact that they were on your site would lead me to believe that they're doing some comparison shopping. Yeah. And so that's what would, would be kind of the exception. Well, now this is the exception where you can go after kind of broader terms and, and still get decent conversion metrics. Love it. Love it. That's some fantastic insight. Well, we've looked at some of the, the positives and some of the effective measures we can take. What about the flip side? I'm sure from your own experience and pulling data from your own software, you've seen plenty of people throwing away a ton of money with uh, PPC. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see others make? Well, a lot of it has to do with kind of the opposites of what we were talking about before. Just, you know, failure to be, to be very specific with the keywords. You, 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 we find like sometimes we'll do these audits and then companies will be spending, you know, tens of thousands a month on, on, on keywords that have nothing to do with the business. It's like, oops, like that was a mistake. You know, Google makes it really easy to, to spend a lot of money. Uh, you know, they don't, there's no like, um, there's no safeguards in place. Like it's it's like you're it's like going to the casino and and you, and you really need to know the rules. You know, like you the, otherwise you'll just get taken. Um, you know, uh, other than that, um, yeah, it's just like this notion of people not um, optimizing their accounts on a weekly basis because that's kind of giving away a lot of the benefits of this channel, uh, James, where, where where paid search is different from, say, like a, advertising on the yellow pages or on a billboard is that you get all this nice feedback as to how different keywords and different ads are resonating with your audience. And then, you know, you're throwing a lot of the value away if you're not going to take that data and kind of double down on what's working and cut what's not working. Yeah, good. Well, let's move the conversation on a little bit from there. Um, maybe perhaps slightly ironically, of the 650,000 visitors or so you get to your site per month, about 400,000 of them, um, to my knowledge, come from organic search. Um, what, in your opinion, does it really take to succeed right now with SEO? Uh, well, we're very fortunate. I started blogging, you know, six or seven years ago, uh, so that was, uh, you know, definitely a strong domain that was, you know, very old and trusted and has gained links over time. Um, you know, some of the things that we do to to get this tremendous amount of uh, of organic traffic, it's um, it's the blogging that we do tends to, to generate uh, tons of links on its own. Uh, so meaning like we tend to blog about, uh, you know, studies about how, you know, how Google makes their money or, you know, just interesting studies on like who, what are the most expensive keywords uh, in, in AdWords. And, you know, these, these stories then get picked up by, you know, com- companies like the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, it, it just generates, you know, tens of thousands. Actually, the link profile of the site has like something like one and a half million uh, links, you know, from, you know, something like a hundred thousand domains. So, so it, it just has to do with like, it's not this manual link building where you're kind of like link begging. Uh, it, it has to do with just coming up with really compelling stories that just, you know, if any reporter is doing their job, like in this space, they should be covering this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. 
and then leveraging that power, like all the trust that's been flown into the this domain by publishing kind of like these evergreen, you know, informational content that ranks very highly for for content. Like if you do a search right now for like what's what is Google AdWords, you'll find like a nice like a nice explainer, um, you know, uh, content from, from WordStream that, that explains what that is. And, and in fact, we've kind of made it so that if you're searching for anything at all in, in, in paid search, um, you know, something from WordStream should show up on the first page like quality score or negative keywords or, or uh, p- pay-per-click or PPC, like your keyword tool, like you should find WordStream content somewhere there. Yeah. And it's not that you're just blogging to wordstream.com, right? You've also got columns for Inc and you do stuff for search engine journal, Forbes, search engine land, and a bunch of others I see. How on earth do you produce so much content? Because if I scroll down your own about page on your website, there's almost, gosh, four or five content pieces per day that in some way you've had a contribution towards. How on earth do you maintain such a high frequency of content? Well, first of all, um, it's not, I mean, it's, it's doable. I mean, there are, you know, journalists out there, like if, if, you know, professional writers who work for like venture beat or whatever, you know, their job is to produce news content and produce, you know, six to eight pieces of content per day is, is pretty typical for those types of, um, reporters. So for my, myself, like I, I get kind of annoyed with myself if I don't do like, you know, maybe two or three, uh, uh, uh articles a day, um, in wow. terms of like either, either contributing them, them myself or, um, working with um you know one of my you know thousands of industry contacts like uh on on helping them with their pieces because you don't have to originate everything you can just you know be the expert cited in in one of those other articles and that that works out just as well from like a pr perspective sometimes even better if you're if you're not the one originating everything you you know what i mean yeah absolutely well i i I guess if we can just dig a tiny way into this this would be great uh, listening how on earth do you kind of keep such a stream of relevant content ideas kind of at your fingertips ready to share with the world because two or three content pieces is you know a fair amount of content even for the most seasoned writer to produce right well, there's a lot of benefits here. Like I'm kind of at this, I have this nice perch here working at a paid search, my own paid search company. You know, we have, I have thou- like something like 2000 customers like that we help with, with paid search. And I'm kind of like the, the go-to guy for like difficult problems. So like if, 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 yeah. um, you know, if an unusual situation bubbles up from, from one of our client service managers and, and they need a second opinion, it kind of bubbles up to me. And, uh, you know, it's like, I get, a lot of exposure to like very interesting case study data because like you, you you really need uh, you're either either you're originating new stuff or you're rehashing like you know generic tips or whatever you, you know what I mean and so um, just having a lot of customers and then having the most interesting customer case studies bubble up to me is uh, quite a kind of a tactical advantage you follow yeah and then and as well we've got so many thousands of customers you can do kind of like these orthogonal data studies like you know what's an average quality score across you know all these different accounts etc like you can do you can do some some nice research you know so it's it's kind of like an endless uh, you know pool of of uh, of interesting ideas to, to draw from you know i understand that not everyone has that uh but um ideally you should try to create your business in such a way that you have this kind of 
well of uh, you know topics that that can bubble up uh, from 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 beneath you know you know what i mean yeah and i guess the result that perhaps people would expect that as you create more content you run out of content ideas i guess the reverse happens because when you're putting more stuff out there you're getting more interaction with your audience which then surfaces other questions and other topic matters that you can learn from and understand that they'd be interesting you know interested to hear more about right yeah yeah the, another interesting thing is that i'm i'm like it's it's a lot of the stuff that i'm writing about is just like first person experiences like because i'm still actively involved with like the marketing of of the content on our site uh you know like i'll discover new tricks and new hacks and you know a lot of people would keep that to themselves but i'm i'm happy to just write them up and and share them with my audience yeah absolutely well i believe you're reported to have created the most shared ppc article of all time what was it about that article specifically that created so much buzz so if you're a paid search practitioner uh the one tool that all of us has used is the uh keyword tool so, so last year i discovered that the keyword planner the keyword tool was being retired and being uh, replaced with a new keyword tool called the keyword planner uh and i discovered that uh maybe Two, two months before anyone else did. Uh, and so I blogged about it and provided a detailed um, review of, of what it does and how it's different. Uh, and that ended up, you know, generating several hundred thousand of views on search engine land, uh, where, where the typical article may, maybe only do, it does like three or 4,000 views. Uh, and that was the most shared article uh, ever. It was also the most read article on search engine land in 2013, uh, you know, be, because it was on a, 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 it was quite a scoop. And, 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 and it's so funny, James, like the way that I found out about this wasn't with, you know, special connections with Google. It was that's just that we have so many account managers, like I've got like, you know, something like 30 account managers working in, in Google AdWords every day. And then one of them found this weird tool, like it, it, it was a, the, the keyword planner, we, we just stumbled upon it. And what they had done was they had this beta where they had enabled it for like 1% of, of accounts, right? And wow. so, <laughs> so, so one of us stumbled upon it and kind of, you know, it kind of bubbled its way up to the top. And I was like, holy crap, this is something completely different. And so that's, that's how we were able to get the scoop like two months before anyone else wow I mean, it's like uh, it's like newspapers right i mean it's finding that that one story that's you know relevant for the market that everyone's interested in and just getting it ahead of time over everyone else right i can just see how that blew up amazing find i i have a I, you know it's I have to confess, I have a quite an unfair advantage here, like just sitting on, you know, a billion dollars of paid search data, you know, 2000 customers, you know, 30 people, you know, working those accounts. It, it's, um, yeah, and then it just becomes more and more unfair the more customers we sign up. <laughs> <laughs> so anyone looking to get into the, the market of blogging about uh, pay-per-click and paid search um i would retire early i don't think you're going to gain an advantage on larry and his team by the sounds of it <laughs> or, or or just we could be friends you know we can just like you know promote each other's stuff and and like we're we're, we're good with that like there's so, you know so many different paid search companies uh that, that we work with it's such a big market right uh we we, we specialize in, in small medium-sized businesses uh and then there's many other types of companies
companies out there. And so, so we partner with a lot of different companies like Kissmetrics or HubSpot or PPC Hero, like to produce content. Uh, and then, and they like that because it gives them a lot of exposure. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because you do create a lot of content for other people's audiences, not just your own. How do you go about identifying the right partnerships and the right guest blogging opportunities? Because I'm sure you have plenty available to you. Uh, I'm mostly looking for um, just like you said, other people's audiences. So, uh, you know, I'm looking at the size of their following. So I'll like look at, you know, their social um, channels and see like, you know, are, is the content that they share actually being shared or not? Or, uh, you know, or is it just like, you know, oh, this piece of content got five tweets or something like that. You know what I mean? So, so you, you kind of do an, a subjective um analysis of that and and trying to see like is this will this substantially move the needle like you know writing is a little bit like like giving blood and there's only so much you can do uh before you pass out so (laughs) you want you want you want to make sure that the, the venues that you're choosing are uh, are going to amplify, uh, like it, they're going to produce a, a return on an, on investment that's greater than uh, just blogging on your own blog, right? And and so, so like, you know, that, that that's uh, kind of the thought process. Any thoughts on that? I think those are the valid points. I know um, Neil Patel. We mentioned Kiss Metrics just now, so I guess it's um, it's relevant. He was he was talking. Um, I think on a post I read the other week about really identifying audiences um, also based very much on relevancy. You know, he'd done a lot of stuff for Huffington Post, for instance, but had got far less return out of that than some of his stuff for, let's say, Search Engine Land or, you know, one of these kind of more traffic orientated um, websites. So reach is, I think, is extremely important. But I guess getting that target market just right for your own business is also important, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And and we we do stuff with Neil like, you know, two or three times a year. That's great. Yeah, good stuff. Well, I want to sort of wrap things up by observing some of the stuff that you're doing with LinkedIn, because some of that's quite innovative. The first thing that I observe myself is that you seem to be repurposing your own blog content and posting that to LinkedIn. How's that working out for you? It's 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 amazing leverage for your content, um, James. Uh, LinkedIn is a really funny social media network. It's kind of like it's not quite Facebook and it's not quite Twitter. You know, Facebook it's like you 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 friend all your families and friends. You know, Twitter it's it's pretty open networking. Like you just you know link connect with uh, I don't know Britney Spears or whoever you want to follow. Uh, you know, uh, LinkedIn it's kind of this in between where you're supposed to connect with like people that you know that through work but not necessarily friends. You know, it, it's just you know my take here is that you know w- with the LinkedIn blogging changes everything. So so what what this does is um, it to me it suggests that you should be you, you should be doing LinkedIn blogging. And that you should be using LinkedIn much more like Twitter. Uh, what I mean by that is um, accepting, you know, more generously accepting connections from people who you don't know, uh, and also sending out connections to uh, to people who you'd like to know, as opposed to just to the people that you know. Uh, the the benefit for this is is has to do with the blogging. So when I repurpose a piece of content. Um, you know, some of these articles can do like fifty or a hundred thousand views uh, in in just a few 
in a, just a few days. Uh, and, and the way that that works is, is it's kind of like there's an edge rank kind of like algorithm uh, for LinkedIn blogs uh, where, where um, my blog content will show up in people's timelines. Uh, and that's based on the engagement and, and topical relevancy of, of the post. So if a lot of people are liking and commenting and, and favoriting it on LinkedIn and resharing it on LinkedIn, then, then it kind of like snowballs and, and lots like it's kind of like the square of the engagement is, is kind of the, the page views. And so there's a decisive advantage then of, of having a large audience because you're more likely to like a large number of connections because mm-hmm. then you're more, more likely to generate like the likes and the shares and the comments that you need to get this content to snowball. And it's, it's just been remarkable. I think I posted, just reposted, um, you know, 50 or so articles in the last uh, 60 days. And, and geez, like some of these articles, they like, they get featured on like Wired Magazine or, or, wow. or, the, or, the, or, or the Wall Street Journal, right? Just because, um, just, just because they just generate so much, um, like the ones that do well, they just do really well. Like the, the it's, it's, uh, it's quite a, a uh, way to amplify the the reach of, of of the content that you've already produced. So if we've got a listener out there who's sitting on a large volume of blog posts they've perhaps produced over the last year or two, a quick win I would imagine is actually going back to that content, finding the stuff that's worked perhaps best on their own site, and then right away repurposing that on LinkedIn, perhaps freshening it up a little bit and posting it again to get some even more traction. Yes, but uh, like what I was saying earlier, like just if you just post it to, to LinkedIn and you only have like 300 connections or whatever, then only the, it's it's really only those 300 connections are going to get the notifications. And so even if you get like, you know, five or 10% of people to engage with that content, it's still a very small number of likes and shares. And so you might, you might end up with like, I don't know, 50 or 200 page views, which may be a lot for you, but it's like, that's not very interesting for, for from my vantage point so like the 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 trick is you you first bulk up your your connection counts right by you know open networking and just trying to be a little like like importing your gmail contacts and stuff like this and then having like once you have a few thousand connections like ideally you know five ten or fifteen thousand connections uh you can then start doing some blogging and then then you'll see that you'll reliably get you know five thousand page views per per blog post because you have like so many connections Do you follow yeah absolutely well i love that that's um an awesome share i think to wrap the show up with larry um let's give some advice to the listeners let's tell them where they can go to connect with you i'm sure wordstream.com is one place where else should our listeners connect with you out there on the internet um the one that i'm checking like every 20 minutes or 10 minutes is Twitter. So that's the, the quickest way uh, to do it. If you, if you want, you can all shoot me an email. It's lkim at wordstream.com. Well, there you go. I think that's where we first connected over at uh, Twitter. So there you go. We'll make sure that Larry's Twitter handle is in the show notes for episode 44, which you get to by going to trafficjamcast.com forward slash 44. So Larry, thank you for your time and expertise. Thoroughly enjoyed this today. I've got a ton out of it myself and I'm sure I listeners have as well so thank you once again for coming on the show thanks again for the opportunity james hey welcome back listener so that was larry kim from wordstream.com 
Totally loved Larry's innovative approach to LinkedIn that we ended the show with. And there's really no doubt that if you're a business to business company, that LinkedIn should absolutely be in your marketing mix. And if you're ready to step up to the plate and put yourself and your business to the forefront, then publishing to LinkedIn offers one of the best content marketing opportunities online right now for sure. So thank you for listening into this episode number 44. We'll be back with another show in about seven days from now. Remember to subscribe via iTunes and Stitcher Radio, which you can do by going to trafficjamcast.com forward slash iTunes and trafficjamcast.com forward slash Stitcher for a direct link to all of the bonuses that we've got coming with today's episode, including a downloadable MP3 full transcript of today's show, plus a very special bonus, which I've put together just for this episode, which is my very own notes from today's show put into mind map format. Now you can get all of that by going to trafficjamcast.com forward slash 44. That's trafficjamcast.com forward slash 44, where you'll instantly download those bonuses. Plus, of course, you can join the discussion on today's episode. Also head on over to the main website, veravo.com for more traffic tips and training and to learn how I can help you get more traffic leads and sales from the search engines. Now, we end this week's show with a track, of course, chosen by Larry Kim. He's chosen a track titled Safe and Sound, and it's by the band Capital Cities. So enjoy the traffic jam to play out the show, and I'll see you back here in about seven days from now. See you then.
listening to the Traffic Jam Podcast with James Reynolds. To know more about this program and to subscribe for future episodes, check out the website, trafficjamcast.com.